With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Rick Munn is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Okay, let's get the job done. It is uh, Wednesday, the 13th of December, 2023. This is TNT Radio. We are beaming out live from our lo- undisclosed location in the Gold Coast in Australia. And it's uh, it's a good time to be alive. I tell you what, there's never a dull moment here on the planet. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to make sense of the madness along with you people trying to navigate the good ship TNT through the turbulent waters of life and we're having a little fun as we go along the way because listen if you can't laugh uh, what are you going to do you're going to just be miserable and depressed always and if you don't laugh you're going to cry so we prefer to keep things a little bit lighthearted but deadly serious here on the open line and locked and loaded shows uh yeah thanks to everyone for the messages in the live chat as normal uh you can leave a message for us if you're new to the uh station or you don't know how things work uh, because we're picking up new people all the time and uh, the website address is tntradio.live and if you go onto that website uh, you'll find all our uh, merchandise our programming schedule our presenters our back catalog of shows that you can tune into and listen at your own speed and at your own leisure recently there we just passed the 10 million download marker which is phenomenal really when you think about it 10 million uh, downloads of TNT shows is quite a lot and that's over the course of the last what 18 months to two years so that number is uh, growing exponentially Uh, I would say we'll be up near the 20 million mark sooner rather than later and thank you huge thank you to everyone who does tune in for the regulars that have been there since day one also the people that are just uh, coming in line now brilliant uh, to have you on board and please do leave your thoughts and feedbacks in our live chat or you can email us uh we have dedicated email addresses minus rickmon at tntradio.live but if you go into the contact form for any presenter uh, you'll be able to shoot us a message there too and we'll do our best to read that and to respond to that and maybe to action some of the suggestions or feedback that you guys do actually provide. So uh, awful lot to get through this hour. I'm going to be joined uh, at about 20 past by Rob Hutchinson from South Africa. Last time Rob was on, he and I famously have been talking about the, the, the load shedding problem or the lack of electricity in South Africa for the last 18 months or so and he was caught out last time he was due to appear he he was victim of load shedding so he had his whole internet cut and uh, no electricity so he wasn't able to join me a few weeks ago but he's back again today he's assured me that he's going to have electricity on so we'll be talking to him to get an update on south africa at around about the 20 past mark of course Gemma will be coming on board in a minute uh couple of items to discuss with her. Uh, a new st- a breaking story out from Ireland this morning, uh, moved to cut Ukrainian social welfare influenced by uh, fears of a public backlash. So inability to offer enough accommodation also flagged with ministers during a special briefing. So this was just released in the early hours of today. Fears of a breakdown in public support for Ireland's response. The Ukrainian refugee crisis prompted the ministers to slice their social welfare and limit accommodation because Ireland was paying out by far the highest amount to Ukrainian immigrants. I think it was 220 euro per week. Some places were only giving them 10 euro per week. So it was roughly 20 times higher than some other places uh, in the European Union. And also, of course, promising them accommodation when they actually arrived here. So they're talking about slashing that substantially uh, from 220 euro per week to 38 
euro per week, less than 40. So from 220 to under 40 from early next year. That's, of course, assuming they actually go ahead and action this. The move will require legislative changes from either Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys or the, the scourge, the nemesis of Ireland, uh, the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee. Helen McEntee is the pits. Listen, we cover politicians. I have covered politicians in Australia. I've covered Dan Andrews. I've covered Mark McGann. I've covered Michael Gunner. Looked at Gladys Berejiklian, Anastasia Palaszczuk, Scott Morrison, you name them, Jacinda Ardern, Emmanuel Macron, all of them. I tell you what, this Helen McEntee, the Irish Justice Minister, she takes the biscuit. She is a dangerous woman, I am telling you that now. So she could have the rubber stamp on this one or to be able to kibosh this one come the new year. So people are not happy. Irish people are saying, well, if these people are fleeing war, why are they going back home for Christmas? Because that's one of the bones of contention here. A lot of these so-called refugees are going back home to visit their relatives for Christmas and then coming back to Ireland, taking their 220 euro a week and their turnkey accommodation when they're fleeing war, but they're able to go back and visit their mums and dads. And why are their mums and dads still there? Why are their kids still there while they're jaunting backwards and forwards from Dublin to Kiev? It makes no sense. And the penny is finally dropping with the Irish populace. Hence the move to slice these benefits potentially in the early months of next year. So again, this is a story that's close to my heart and uh, we will continue to keep you updated with it as the updates arrive. So on that note, uh, I'll inhale and ask you to just brace yourself for Gemma Cooper. She's incoming here on TNT Live. Don't go away. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, Gemma, there was another story that I was going to highlight there, but it was to do with uh, Leo Varadkar, who's the Irish Prime Minister, or the so-called Taoiseach. Uh, he ruled out the uh, climate change fear porn yesterday, telling us that it was the worst threat to humanity in history. Uh, it, did, it does kind of lead into the story that you want to update us on from COP28. Seems to be they're, 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 they're trying to whip people into a frenzy about this one as well. What are the, what are the final touches to this one uh, as COP28 draws to a close? Well, this one was bubbling around when I first came on air at 6 a.m. this morning, uh, UK time, 4 o'clock Australia time on the Dean Mackin show. And that was that there had been a draft uh, proposal uh, put to all the delegates and ministers at COP28 in Dubai um, to move away, all the countries to move away from fossil fuels, oil, gas, uh, gas and coal. Um, the final kind of document, the final wording hadn't been agreed. They have been thrashing it out. And within the last hour, they've all agreed in lockstep on the final wording of the document and all 198 countries have agreed now to move away from fossil fuels with immediate effect. This is the first time that the COP28, a COP conference has ever uh, voted on this. Um, it's obviously pushing Agenda 2030 as quickly as possible. All the delegates stood up and gave themselves a standing ovation. And the UK climate minister within the last hour has said this is the beginning of the end now for fossil fuels. We are all unified in common commitment, lockstep, in other words, to move away from fossil fuels. And this will happen uh, as soon as possible. So uh, it was interesting. I, I, I put the initial story to Dean and we were talking about, you know, wind will be brought in more, solar will be brought in more. None of it will work properly. Uh, electric, all of that stuff that nobody really asked for. This is all being imposed from on high. And he made the analogy that in a few years' time, we could well be living like the Flintstones and we should all be watching that oh. cartoon to see how we should be behaving because that's where we're heading back, back into the dark ages if we transition away from 
from these 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 materials whether or not people will buy it whether or not people will do it how long this transition will take uh, and there'll there'll be a lot of browbeating and stick waving i think to make people right. and businesses and households comply with this um but they've all stood up in unison first time this has ever happened at one of these conferences and they've nailed their colors to the mask and said uh, we're we're doing it no more gas no more coal, no more oil. Uh, the, the Arab nations are saying we need a bit of time to transition away from this. Ironic, considering it's been happening in the Middle East. But the Arab mm. nations, some of them are very poor. Iraq, for example, it relies on oil. Uh, what does that mean for the people in a, an already poor country? You know, but, oh, don't worry about them. Don't worry about the people. Don't worry about how this affects the people. We're just going to work in unison as a one world effective government to make this transition happen. Yeah, the, you know, they've already rejigged the, the time scales for this in the UK. You know, Sunak's being trying to come across as a man of the people saying, look, we realise it's a tough time for everyone. Cost of living, we can't all afford to shell out for things like heat pumps and, you know, get smart meters fitted on our houses. So he's he's already backpedalling slightly on his, uh, you know, green goals, uh, much to the disgust of many of the green politicians in the UK. But I think, you know, the reality, Jim, even yesterday we talked about, you know, car charging infrastructure for all the uh, extra electric vehicles that we're seeing on the road. The infrastructure is not there to support them. And even insurance companies uh, are pulling out of the game to stop people even being able to insure their vehicles without spending thousands and thousands of pounds. I do think the green bubble is bursting and certainly they're starting to kick the green can a little bit further down the road. So they need these COP28 conferences at least once a year to draw them back into the public's eye and of course to make big sweeping statements to finalise them, uh, talking about how dedicated they are to eradicating fossil fuels and hydrocarbons. But whether or not it uh, translates into reality, I, I suppose time will tell. But certainly they're talking the talk, but we don't know yet whether they're going to walk the walk on that one. Uh, there's another story you have here, uh, and in fact, it kind of ties in with my next guest who was unable to join me uh, the last time he was scheduled to come on the TNT because of issues, that the ones that you're about to highlight. So they can't come close to home here. Uh, BT Digital Landline Chaos, as customers are cut off when internet signal goes down. Yeah, very reliant on that old internet, aren't we? We are indeed. And I, I brought this to the table. It's broken here in the UK today, um, but it ties in with COP because, again, it's something that nobody's particularly asked for and it's being thrust upon millions of people here in the UK. And that is that um, uh, one of the leading tech providers, BT, is thrown people into chaos as it attempts to replace traditional copper landlines with fibre. Um, and it's, it's caused absolute mayhem across the country. And it's just an example of something we didn't want or didn't ask for, um, we're paying for, because we all pay BT and pay bills, um, are being thrust upon us and creating confusion. And it does illustrate very strongly that the, the terrible kind of dangers of the digital world, which we're all being forced uh, to inhabit. So 29 million homes are being affected by this change here in the UK. Um, and already people are finding that landlines that they've had for 50 years, especially elderly people who have very much used their landlines, their landlines are disappearing. People have been giving new phone numbers with the wrong area code that bear no relation to where they actually live. Friends and family can't get through. One 90-year-old woman who lived on her own was left without a landline for nearly two weeks. So if she'd had an emergency, who would she have called? What would have happened? The mind boggles. Um, and again, this is something we didn't want. As you say about your guests coming in from South Africa and the load mm. shedding, when everything's on a grid and everything's turn off and honorable, basically what they're saying here is every time the internet goes down, which it does, we all know that, um, mm -hmm. these, these landlines, these new landlines are switched off. 
So you could have it in the morning and by the afternoon it's off, then it's on again, then it's off again, then it's on again. Then you've got a different number when it comes back online. Uh, don't forget, we pay for these services. So um, that this tech firm has come under a huge amount of criticism, but I really have brought it to, to the fore because it's broken here in the UK today. And just like COP28, we didn't ask for it. We didn't particularly no. want it. And yet we're being herded down this pattern of, of behavior with technology. What a mess, though, for BT. This is, Gemma, when you think about it, you know, uh, traditionally BT had the home telephone landline market sewn up pretty much. You know, they were an institution. Then when mobile phones came along, a lot of people stopped using landlines. Uh, they didn't need a landline anymore. And even for internet connections now, you used to have to run your internet connection through your uh, telephone landline. Now that's not needed anymore with fiber optics. You can run a cable into your house as well. So I think BT have really taken a hit uh, over their glory days back in the 80s, uh, you know, when they were just a, a British institution. And when you look at the numbers here in this article, uh, the people that they're dealing with 29 million homes uh, over to BT's, uh, Britain's 29 million homes over to new digital landlines. Like that is a humongous undertaking. I can't even begin, begin to think about the logistics behind that. And of course, something of that size, something as technical as that is never going to go completely smooth. And of course, it's going to cause a massive amount of headache, both for BT and also for the customers who are more important than the organization because they feed them uh, their money and pay them their fees every uh, quarter, rent their landline every month. So it's a huge undertaking here. And as, of course, the saying goes, what could possibly go wrong with porting 29 million houses across these new systems? And already people are up in arms about it and complaining about it. So it doesn't bode well for those that are dependent on old BT type technology. Yeah, and I think there are more and more people like that than we realize. I mean, I, I held on to my uh, landline for as long as I could. It was only because I had to get the dreaded Elon Musk's Starlink beamed mm -hmm. into where I live to do my job here on TNT because the technology wasn't good enough to under my property to have proper um, fiber optic broadband. I live in a quite a remote area, um, you know, and I didn't particularly want to have Elon Musk in, in my house, mm -hmm. but here he is, you know, so we are reliant on this awful technology, but I, I tried to hold on to my landline. It was the telephone number I'd had since I was a kid, mm -hmm. you know, all my parents are dead now. So it's kind of a link to the mm -hmm. past and all of that stuff. And I, I totally understand that people don't want to get rid of landlines because it's kind of, you see it as some kind of more stability or a rope mm -hmm. to the old world. Um, rather than this relentless digital prison that we increasingly find ourselves in. But what is interesting is that once you're connected to the digital system, the vagaries of it, which our, your next guest is going to talk about, you know, your supply is off, your supply is on. It keeps you in a constant state of stress and stress and worry. You worry. What if I need the phone? What if I need to call someone? Have I got a line? It, it's a, it's affecting on the human psyche. This It's not just the kind of logistical problems of what it represents, I think. And of course, you also highlighted uh, the, the the elderly who do cling on to, you know, those cords to the past in particular, because there was one old woman there said she had the same number for 50 odd years. And during the hullabaloo of this transition, she's lost her own number. She can't get a new one to work. Uh, for people that are dependent on landlines, they don't like mobile phones. They don't like technology. They want things to be old school. They're snookered. As you said, uh, some woman was stuck for two weeks without any access to any anybody because of the landline issues. You know, you've got to factor those people in too. As much as they're an inconvenience for a lot of big corporations, they're human beings at the end of the day, and they need to be able to be, stay connected to the outside world too, do they not? Absolutely, and you've, you've nailed it. Corporations. Corporations. They care nothing for people. I mean, I cannot be the only one person in the world who, you know, dreads having to phone up any company now 
any company because it doesn't matter if it's a small company or a massive corporation you get the robot on the end of the phone Mm -hmm. you know so we can all our all our advisors are helping other customers are they i don't think so they just want you to get off the phone and do it online eventually when you hold on you get through you've pressed a million different buttons you've had a million different robotic options by the time you actually get through to another human being you're so stressed out you take it Mm -hmm. out on the other human being i know that's a worldwide problem it's awful Mm -hmm. and none of us ask for it ask for that and even when you complain they don't change it they just want you online 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 i really i will hold on for an hour and a half if i need to just just to get through to another human sometimes i feel sorry for the other human by the time i get there but i won't be corralled and i know people listening and they feel the same you know you won't be corralled into this way of behaving it's anti-human and it isn't right yeah so stick stick to your guns people out there you know some people happily you know got rid of the landline some people don't want to so just do whatever's right for you uh you know i find that i was i don't really phone anybody anyway um so i didn't really need one and i was able to use my internet was you know fibers delivered into the house so they were charging me i don't know what the land rental fee was whether i used it or not Gemma was paying a monthly uh, rental fee to bt so i did scrap mine however other people don't have mobile phones, don't want them, want to stay connected. So don't be harassed or browbeaten uh, by any corporations into doing something that you don't want to do. We've got a call time in this one as per now. Rob, hopefully, will be joining us from South Africa. So big thank you to you, Gemma, for all the input this morning. As always, we'll uh, hook up again tomorrow morning at 9 on uh, Open Line. So please stay tuned for more to come here on Locked and Loaded. TNT Radio will be right back. TNT Radio's Kate Shamarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there i very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places and if you go into the supermarket there's only the first two aisles that have got real food the rest it's not food and i see what people buy i've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys not them don't get all excited but i have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age kate shimarani on tnt radio potential delays for the morning commute in other news a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth freedom of the press is about your right to know what are you talking about man look at this it's about your right to be informed your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Well, I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
Okay, Locked and Loaded TNT Radio. I'm Rick Munn, and I'm happy to be joined, super happy to be joined this morning from uh, the darkest depths of South Africa by none other than Rob Hutchinson. I don't think you people have seen Rob before. Uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, viewing his visage every time we've had an interview, but now we've gone all high tech in TNT, and we're now video streaming uh, our, our interviews or our sessions here on live radio. So please, uh, hopefully Rob doesn't uh, scare you too much. I do think he has that kind of Bond villain-esque look about him, but I love him very much. And he's wearing regulation black TNT uniform this morning. Rob, how the hell are you doing? Rick, it's, it's been a fantastic week. Busy, very, very, very busy. But oh, I'm, I'm feeling good and positive here towards the end of the year, which makes a change. Uh, uh, it does make a change for you to be positive and upbeat. Uh, it's a nice change, I must admit. And I have a question for you to kick things off. Okay, so last time you were scheduled to come on here, the dreaded load shedding uh, knocked on your door and said, no, it shall not happen. Now, you told me last week, you said, I am going to make sure, I'm going to take steps to make sure that this doesn't happen to me next week. Can you tell us what those steps were or is that all hush-hush? <laughs> Ah, yeah, no, it's quite simple steps. Uh, just make sure I've got a, a stable internet connection, one that's not uh, through through Wi-Fi or doesn't use it to, uh, the mobile telephone networks. Um, so I've got that now. I've got a, a, the proper, uh, what do you call it, fiber line that's, uh -huh. that's connected to there. Uh, the actual uh, fiber company is, is about uh, one kilometer up the road from me. So it's pretty stable connection there. And then they run off uh, generators during, during load shedding. So there'll be no, no interruptions there. And then uh, UPSs and backup generators and, and so on to make sure that the lights stay on. And of course that uh, I have power to power the, the laptop and and so on and of course a reliable laptop too <laughs> you never know yeah. the batteries Did take you... strain with this constant uh, dropping and 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 off power <laughs> you know what we're laughing here and sort of making a joke about this but this must be an almighty pain in the ass for you and so many other south africans to go to those lengths to just simply provide a a stable, well, uh, constant electricity, even though you're going to be using, you know, possibly diesel generators for that, having to get fiber broadband in rather than relying on a Wi-Fi signal or phone network communication. Uh, these are things that we take for granted, you know, uh, I was going to say in the West, but at the end of the day, South Africa is a, it's not a backward country, hell spells, but it seems to be going that way when you've just described what you have to do simply to be able to connect with me to talk for half an hour on on the internet yeah absolutely 100 correct there um everybody all businesses have to make make a alternative plans now uh many businesses have got uh, backup servers and um proper proper ups and battery backups and even even generators the issue is around cost uh, these systems aren't aren't cheap uh, you're looking at a couple of hundred thousand rand for for a system that can can run run a business, and shopping centres have also gone the solar route and and battery route at costs of hundreds of millions of rand, and you know, it's it's taking a real strain or it's placing a real strain on on the economy. You know, the uh, retailers have to recover these costs somehow, and 
um, it's obviously through raising prices towards the end, end consumer. Even even uh, ESCOM's been running, ESCOM, our power utility, has been running uh, generators, uh, the, the, the gas or uh, diesel generators, um, which are only supposed to be used during during uh, peak times as, as a sort of backup, but they've been running them constantly and using millions of liters of, of, of diesel. Uh, sorry, environmentalists, but... Uh, Energy is more important than than the environment at this stage, um, <laughs> but you know, it's at, at a huge cost, at an absolute huge cost as well, and that's that's going to have to be recovered through through taxes or yet another bailout from from government, and it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Luckily, um, uh, Kuburg, which is our nuclear power station, uh, has just come back online, so that's that's alleviated some some load shedding quite or quite a bit and you know, uh, while it was down and while ESCOM was battling with with the other uh, generating generating sources uh, we were experiencing what was uh, to stage six um, and some people even said seven uh, load shedding which it was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous the plan would change every day um, there's no they can't they can't stick to a schedule because the breakdowns change the schedule and uh, it was we were on for an hour off for two and a half hours on for another hour off for two and a half hours uh, it was just impossible and what happens then is that your backup batteries don't have time to recharge mm -hmm. so you know eventually you just don't have any don't have any power at all when when there's low shedding so even your backup systems don't work which has just created absolute chaos so I think uh, the reason why you know I, I like to talk to you about this is because you're able to give us the actual you know what's actually happening on the ground in South Africa. It is actually directly affecting you, but it's also a salutary warning for anybody in the West or in Europe that this could well happen to us too. Because that's why I was saying you know this is happening right across South Africa. You know with the intermittent electricity supplies, it's crippling businesses and really ruining people's day to day lives because of you know there's no uh, assurance assurance of having your power supply there. So it's always good to keep an eye on it. You mentioned the nuclear thing as well, of a story about a, a nuclear uh, reactor uh, in South Africa to talk about when we come back. So we'll take a brief news pause here and we'll continue on the energy front at least for another five minutes after the news. So please stay tuned for more here on TNT Radio. We'll be right back. TNT Radio News. Bring the news. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. U.S. President Joe Biden has promised to transfer another $200 million worth of weapons to Ukraine. Australia, Canada and New Zealand have expressed their anger at Israel's relentless bombardment of Gaza, which has so far killed over 18,000 Palestinians. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to approve legislation that would ban the imports of Russian uranium. And France claims to have successfully propelled a drone strike on one of its warships in the Red Sea. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. 
Okay, linking in beautifully uh, to our discussion on nuclear power there about getting another uh, power station up and running, which helped the load shedding somewhat. Uh, there's an article that I saw here that just uh, was published yesterday uh, on Reuters. South Africa seeks bids for a new nuclear power station. Uh, uh, this was reported out of Cape Town. South Africa will launch a bidding process for an extra two and a half thousand megawatts of nuclear power by March of next year as the country attempts to tackle its worst power outages on record. Businesses and households have been left without power for up to 10 hours on some days this year. I would say more like every day this year, <laughs> uh, hitting South Africa's economic output and prompting plans to boost generation. It could be almost as if you wrote this article yourself because this is what you're just <laughs> explaining this is actually yeah. happening on the ground uh, in South Africa. However, officials said uh, on Tuesday, which was yesterday, uh, that the new nuclear power procurement is not a short-term fix as the first units are only expected to operate in a decade. So even if they propose mm -hmm. this, uh, you know, some of these proposals that they're coming out with, Rob, sound fantastic, but it could be a year, two years, three years, four years, five years before these proposals actually kick in. That's not much good to the average South African who needs to run a business or just stay in contact with yeah. the outside world, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, it's a big problem for South Africa. We need an immediate fix. There's no doubt about that. Um, and because we have power, fa uh, power stations that are uh, 40 years old, um, and they need refurbishing, and well, that's also not a not a quick quick process, and so many breakdowns, and it's just going to get worse and worse, and more more and more breakdowns, and more and more power outages. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, about oh, it was about ten years ago, actually, uh, um, was our president Jacob Zuma actually entered into a nuclear a nuclear deal. Which would which would have provided nine thousand eight hundred megawatts of of power ten years ago, and uh, the the public outcry was of course around corruption, and there were certain uh, individuals, top top influential individuals and ANC um, uh, members, actually pushing uh, to not do nuclear but rather go the renewable route. Um, obviously, there are vested interests in 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 that and going the renewable route. Um, including our, our president's brother-in-law, who, who owns about seventy percent of of the renewable projects in in South Africa, so that that was sidelined. Uh, the the reason, main reason being that it was full of fought with corruption, and it was with the Russians, and uh, it would have cost the country uh, around five hundred billion rand. Which now, looking at it ten years later, we we would ha actually have nuclear power up and running. Right now, as, as that article says, it takes 10 years before we see uh, anything come online. Uh, this nuclear deal was 10 years ago, and 500 billion now seems <laughs> seems pretty reasonable uh, to to anyone. Sure, the costs yeah. would have escalated, um, probably doubled, but still, we we would have a, a functioning country, and uh, and we would have power, and we'd be a viable investment. For, for for global investment and we've been in a far better far better situation um uh, i have no doubt there will be environmentalists and and so on that will push back against this nuclear um uh, i think it's it's probably i think it is actually a, a proposed extension of kuburg in in the western cape the our existing one 
um, there's this space for two more units uh, on, on that site. If it's not there, then they have identified another site, I think in Zaldana Bay, somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, but I think that the logical and cheaper thing would be to extend extend the existing power plant there. But yeah, it's, as, as you said, it's going to take uh, 10 years. It's not a quick solution. Um, I actually don't know what is a quick solution for, for South Africa, if there if even is one at, at this stage. Um, what they could do, and there's been a lot of talk about that, is, is bringing in uh, SMBs, which are small modular, SMR, sorry, small modular reactors, okay. which are far quicker and easier to, to um, implement. And you, know, you could have those up and running in, in a third of the time of, of building 2,500 megawatt unit. Surely, um, you know, anything at all like the, the SMR solution would be preferable to, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting under this constant stress of load shedding. Uh, are South Africans, let me ask you a question in general here, are South Africans pretty much resigned to the fact that, look, this is the way that this is? You know, it, protesting isn't going to fix this because you, you can't protest a new nuclear power plant into place. Uh, protesting doesn't magic up electrical units from anywhere. So is there, an, uh, is there a mindset almost of begrudging resignation as if to say, okay, this is how it is in South Africa. This is the way it's probably going to remain in the short time. It's an almighty pain in the ass, but yes, I'm going to have to get my own generator power. I'm going to have to install my own fiber links here because otherwise nothing's going to change here. Is that the way it is? People literally have no option, but they accept this. Yeah, yeah, it is. And most Africans have already accepted it. I was in a shopping center uh, this week and the power went out and there's that gap between when the generators come on and 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 you know it's completely black inside there and i remember about you know 10 15 years ago when the power used to go off inside a shopping center everyone was like oh power ooh. everyone makes that that vocal vocal sound but yeah nobody even flinched it was just a uh, part of the course <laughs> that's that's what happens power came back on, there were no cheers or claps or anything. It was just part of, part of our daily routine. So we definitely have become accustomed to it. Um, we were learning to live with it. And it's it's quite interesting from a from a psychological point of view. It's wonderful. It's quite amazing to see social conditioning so so yeah. effective. Uh, it's, we, we've accepted what what we what we shouldn't really be accepting in any way whatsoever. But it's you know, what other choice choice do we have? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, when you don't have any other, it's not like you can say, well, we're going to move to another energy provider. You don't have any other energy provider. Mm -hmm. And even if you did, they'd be in the same position. Or you say, well, I'm going to cancel my subscription with ESCOM. Then you have no electricity whatsoever. <laughs> so I think they know they have you over a barrel there. And it is a fascinating, and that's why I like to talk to you because for, you know, since we've been conversing, which is about a year and a half now, you and I have been talking on and off, we've, we've been monitoring events in South Africa and saying, okay, I don't know, I don't I want to say this in a negative way, but I think it's a predecessor or it's a it's a it's a test case for what I believe is going to come to Europe if the globalists get their way. We're going to be discussing these exact same issues among Europeans that we're discussing with you as a South African and have been for the last 
18 months. And by the way, uh, just uh, I was going to say by way of introduction, should have done this right at the start. Uh, Rob uh, runs a, a fantastic platform called Dear South Africa. Now you can follow that on the X platform or Twitter at DearSA underscore national, or they have a website, DearSouthAfrica.co.za. That's a public participation platform that was established back in 2018 to provide all citizens an opportunity to shape public policy, protect your democracy and have a say now. So obviously there's some things that, you know, public participation isn't going to change, for example, the, the electricity mm. issue that you guys have there, but there's very, very many things that uh, DRSA has uh, affected government policy on through public participation. I want to take a minute, uh, if I can, Rob, and just touch on some of the issues that you guys have been focusing on lately. So one of them is, uh, a, well, actually, I'll do this one because this is really bad in Ireland at the minute too. Call for mm. comment uh, for Dear SA, stop the hate speech bill. So there's a hate mm. speech bill, uh, petition to the president, have your say, You're having your right to say what you want is under serious threat. Parliament has passed a hate speech bill that criminalizes hate, spe criminalizes hate speech. The major problems with the bill center around its wide definition of the term harm, and also, uh, you know, hate. The result is you will not you will not be able to know beforehand if you're committing a crime, right? So in Ireland at the minute, we have the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, who is a woman but can't define what a woman is, who is trying to outlaw hate but she can't define what hate is and saying it's committed by the far right. And this week she, she admitted she couldn't define what far right was. So it seems to be almost a reflection of what's going on in South Africa. Hate and harm uh, are two terms that you could be prosecuted for, but yet you aren't told what those terms actually mean. So therefore they could arrest you and say, well, actually it does fall under our definition of hate, but we weren't able to provide that one up front. It is very dystopian, this one. It's almost like a mirror image of what's going going on in Ireland. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying, Rick, it really is. Um, if you can't define hate, then it's up to the individual who feels they, they've encountered emotional harm. Uh, it could be something as simple as, oh, I feel offended by what, by, by what you said, you hurt my feelings. And that, that leaves it really open-ended to, to, to interpretation. And if, if you leave it up to the supposed uh, victim or the complainant, to, to set the terms, then then what's the point in, of, of a law in, in the first place? The judge has no has no say. The judge has to go by what the uh, what the complainant says and they, if they feel hurt. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's opening up opening up um, the entire legal space for complete abuse, either abuse by government or abuse by. Uh, political individuals or politicians themselves or even members of the public if i want to silence a competitor in if i was if i was a businessman and wanted to silence a competitor i could accuse them of of hurting my feelings uh, you know you you've done something your advertising hurts my feelings uh, it's hate speech what you're doing and they get criminally prosecuted it's 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 really a I, I can't even comprehend how how government could could let something like like this pass. Um, so we've run quite a few uh, uh, public participation processes in the formation of of the bill, um, and some amendments were made. But the main the main complaint was around the, the loose and wide definition of harm and 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 hate itself. And uh, now the bill's moved onto the president's desk. 
we're waiting for his signature to send it into law and then uh, they'll have to draft regulations around that so we have got an opportunity now the president doesn't have to sign it um, if he feels that it doesn't meet the the constitutional muster or the test of constitutionality then he has a right to send it back to parliament for for further deliberation that's that's pretty much what what we're requesting now the more public pressure that the president sees um then hopefully you know that it will create a bit of impact and and force him to, to to send it back to to parliament that's all we want we don't want him to scrap it um because that's a huge ask we just want him to simply exercise his constitutional right to send it back and from there we can we can challenge it again you know that's a good uh, that's a good mindset to have here because the reality of Ramfosa actually throwing this one in the rubbish bin is uh, next to zero. But if he acknowledges the fact that there's a large public backlash against this, uh, and then it, it it gives more time for people to be made aware of what it is, and it could be a larger uh, public outcry against this, then that. Uh, certainly does open up the possibility that it will be pushed through, but there's no way on earth he's just going to look at it, roll it up into a, a, a ball and throw it into his uh, waste paper basket beside his desk. Mm. That isn't happening. So at least you've got the sense to know that and you guys know what time it is down there. Uh, at least this could stall the process at the very least, if not uh, eliminate it altogether. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, Rob. Uh, just for uh, uh, some ads. And when we come back, uh, there's a few other things that you guys are pushing forward I want to touch on before the top of the hour. So please stay tuned for more Rob Hutchinson, Rick Bond, uh, Locked and Loaded here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Uh, the latest leftist attacks against Donald Trump claim he's going to be a dictator in a second Trump administration. And Chris Wallace on CNN playing along uh, put the question to Raihan Salam of National Review. So, Raihan, is Donald Trump a dictator-in-waiting, or is he just playing one? Well, look, what he was saying in that moment is something very similar to what Barack Obama said back in 2014. At his first cabinet meeting, he said, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. And what he meant by that is that if Congress does not do what I want them to do, I can sign executive actions and I can use my phone to rally outside groups to create pressure on Congress to get things done. And this is what he was just referring to. I'm going to be working with Congress where I can to accomplish this. But I'm also going to act on my own uh, if uh, Congress is deadlocked. I've got a pen to take executive actions where Congress won't. And I've got a telephone to rally folks around the country uh, on this mission. Executive orders, rallying people via the, the phone, sounds a little dictatorial to me. Uh, context and perspective. They are fake news killers. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. In a secret lab somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. Rick Munn. Now you listen here. He's a very naughty boy. TNT Radio. Now 
<laughs> that one always raises a smile to our faces here in the studio and the guests and probably you lovely listeners out there as well that's a really uh, nice piece of work that one but rob uh with something else to discuss here uh just before our time runs away with us which it always does uh warning over new smoking laws in south africa uh residents are divided on the hotly contained Here's the draft of the Control of Tobacco Products and Electronic Delivery Systems Bill, which businesses warned that implementing the new laws will have a negative consequence for the township's uh, economy. That's uh, Guateng, I think it is, Guateng residents. Uh, so mm -hmm. basically uh, what they're looking to do is declare indoor public places and certain outdoor areas 100% smoke-free, ban the sale of cigarettes through vending machines, require plain packaging with graphic health warnings, ban the display at point of sale, and so on and so forth. To be honest, reading that, uh, you're actually lagging behind us over here in the mm -hmm. uk for example if i wanted to buy cigarettes they now have to keep them in a cupboard you can't actually you're not allowed to oh. see the cigarettes anymore in the news agents they you have to ask them to open the cupboard and then point at the particular brand that you want the packaging has to be free of all uh, flashy colors and there has to be a humongous government warning on there and the taxation on cigarettes over here is astronomical i think 20 mm. cigarettes is about 12 quid which is an astronomical wow. amount of money for 12 uh, for 20 uh, cigarettes there's also talk over here about banning the sale of cigarettes to people born after a certain date so if you were you know you're born now basically you would you'll never be able to smoke that's their vision and if you're an older smoker you'll just you know die off and you'll never be replaced by next generation so yeah <laughs> Jacinta Ardern started punting this around in New Zealand last year Britain jumped mm -hmm. on the bandwagon now it seems to be South Africa is coming after the smokers as well as if they're somehow concerned about their health yeah I think that that's the that's the crux of the issue is it's all it's all presented as for your health and for to better your health but you don't see any of the the astronomical taxes going towards healthcare programs or or any anything of the sort what is it really for it's I don't actually know why why they would want to ban it if they ban the sale of cigarettes the, the government will lose a, an incredible amount of um, taxation from from the sins tax and excise tax placed placed on those products. So, and all they all that's going to happen is they're going to you know, ignite and a um, an underground market, which which will will supply cigarettes through through illicit trade. It's exactly the same as prohibition. What did prohibition achieve? Absolutely nothing but create a, an under underground system and. And gangsterism, that, that's, that's all it did. The same will happen here. You, you, you can't um, stop people from, from uh, smoking or, or even drinking alcohol. It's, 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 it's inevitable. They, they will do it. Plus, it's an, an, an addictive substance. Nicotine is, is addictive. People will want their, want their fix no matter what. Yeah. And they, they will get it in any way that, that they will. We saw that during lockdown here in, in South Africa. Cigarettes were banned and uh were they? just sparked yeah <laughs> they actually banned cigarettes the sale of cigarettes yeah and it was it caused mayhem a lot of people um managed to to bring cigarettes in uh through the, through the borders and uh it started a whole underground uh, trade and okay. yeah which still exists now it's, it's much cheaper to, to purchase cigarettes that, that aren't taxed through through the government. I think in South Africa, it's about 65% of the, 
of of the price of a cigarette is 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 tax. Um, so yeah, it's obviously cheaper to to uh, get your fix from from your local dealer rather than your local uh, retailer slash dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe uh, they banned cigarettes. And in, in, in Ireland here, what they did was they closed all the sports centers down. They didn't allow children to play soccer outside, but they let the fast food restaurants stay open. So you could still buy McDonald's. You could still get your burger and fries, but you weren't allowed to go to the gym. You weren't allowed to work out or go swimming or even play football outdoors because of health reasons. So <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what the rationale behind uh, banning cigarettes effectively that just drove people crazy because if you are a smoker and you're craving mm. nicotine and you don't have any that makes you extremely agitated so i can imagine a nation of agitated south african smokers uh, add on top of that the load shedding add on top of that all the other mandates that were in and around about the time i would have mm. thought south africa would have been a very stressful place to be uh, during the darkest years of the scandemic uh, another story here that we have uh just around uh, about what you guys are doing uh call for comment three proposed adjustments to the national minimum wage uh, within south africa just touching on this one briefly rob uh, standards of living for some people are obviously very low in South Africa. There's a lot of uh, poverty. There's there's affluence as well. Of course, it's not just uh, black and white, and there's grey areas in between. But the unemployment uh, situation in Af uh, South Africa as well is something that you've and I've highlighted in the past. It's been some sometimes upwards of forty odd percent of adults have been mm. unemployed, and then I would imagine you know the remainder of people that are in work actually many of them are relying on a minimum wage. Is the proposed increase going to make any kind of a dent in the cost of living uh, expense for being a South African resident? Uh, well, that's that's what the debate is. Um, yeah, there, there are three proposals now. The, the uh, National Minimum Wage Commission um, conducted its, its annual survey and held their meetings and now they've uh, produced their annual report and, and recommendations. They are they put forward three three proposals. One is a CPI plus 3% increase on the minimum wage. Um, the other is a CPI straight, uh, CPI linked uh, increase. And the other one is CPI plus 0.75%. Um, they, I think eight of the 12 commissioners voted for the, voted for the CPI plus three. So that's more than likely the way it will go. However, the, the public can, can still add the input there and, and provide compelling reasons why it should be higher, lower, or uh, not adjusted at all. Um, I don't think it will make much of a difference to the average person's um, life because you know, the minimum wage, I think it, before this increase was 25 and 40 an hour, mm. which is really nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, it's very, very difficult to to live on that. And although CPI might be flagged at at five percent, I think it is currently now. It most certainly isn't five percent. It's five percent on their chosen basket of 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 goods. And you know, it's I've seen. I think we talked about the price of of groceries and eggs and anything really has gone through through the roof. They're, with petrol prices increasing. Uh, everything increases across the board with electricity problems. Everything increases as well. So you know, the C looking at CPI isn't a true indication of of actual real real life in inflation, especially for the especially for the, a minimum wage earner. They they survive just on the on the breadline. Um, you know, 
uh, but it's a tough thing because you have to do the balance between um, a living wage, people surviving, and uh, businesses surviving. If you increase it too much, then a lot of businesses might might go under. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a real real balancing act there. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it will come right because let's face it, things aren't getting any cheaper anywhere in the world at the minute. I mm -hmm. don't know if any country in the world is saying, yeah, the cost of living is going down here. And any pay rises, there's a lot of strikes happening in, in the UK and Ireland at the minute. Uh, teachers, doctors, even surgeons are going on strike claiming they're not getting enough money. Yeah, like as if 100 grand, 200 grand a year isn't enough for them <laughs> to make ends meet. But they're still complaining that, you know, they need cost of living increases. You know, if inflation, the real rate of inflation is running at 10% and you're getting a pay increase of even 5%, effectively you're taking a 5% pay cut every year because if your wages don't go up, mm. at least in line with what the real rate of inflation is, you're effectively losing money year on year. So that's why I'm saying that over the course of the last few years, I don't know of any country in the world that's actually people are better off than they were back in 2020 or 2019. Uh, it's It's been appalling right across the board. Mm. So mm. hopefully uh, it will work out for the best for people that are on the minimum wage in SA, but I suppose with everything else, uh, time will tell. Just briefly, before we finish off here, I've got a story here just for anybody that's maybe thinking of visiting South Africa. I am uh, follow some really good accounts from South Africa. One guy called K9 Reaper, and the other one guy is called Boer Farmer. Uh, they, they, they paint a rather grim picture of what it can be like in rural areas of South Africa. Uh, hikers then, there's this is a story coming out from African News. Table Mountain attacks highlights South Africa's crime rate and threatens tourism. Uh, talking about an old woman, a pensioner, Mary Lloyd, uh, talks about uh, going for a walk. She was on her daily walk along the massive footpaths when two men pounced on her, grabbing her phone and threatening to cut her fingers off when she couldn't remove her rings <laughs> fast enough. So, you know, it's bad enough having your phone stolen, but threatening with your fingers being removed because you can't take your rings off. Surely that's a little bit much for old pensioner Mary Lloyd. I'm reminded of the Mad Max film, the first one, there was a villain in that called the Toe Cutter. His nickname was yes. Toe Cutter. So uh, maybe uh, as criminals in South Africa have been watching old Mel Gibson movies and they're taking a leaf <laughs> out of his book. Uh, won't do tourism much good, will it, for uh, Table Mountain area, Rob? <laughs> no, as long as I can get to drive the interceptor, that's that's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, with a little sawn-off double-barreled shotgun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not the look. Crime is is rampant, especially now um, in in the tourist season. It, it's going to be it's going to be <laughs> a massive increase. And Cape Town is is notoriously known as as the crime capital of of the world. In fact, um, I think there's most murders per per capita than anywhere anywhere else in the world. And Table Mountain is notoriously uh, a dangerous place. Um, you no, know, don't go hiking there alone. Uh, at mm. night, uh, always with a group of people, and don't yeah, watch out for, for the petty theft, and don't wear jewelry. It's sad that we have to live like this, but you know, when there's high employment, high unemployment, and a failing economy, and no government resources, and also a, a useless judiciary system, mm -hmm. then you, you're going you're going to see a, a, an increase in in crime. It always starts with with petty crime, but it always it'll inevitably escalate into more serious and, and violent crime. And you know, I, I can't remember what the actual statistics were, um, but I think it was somewhere around only eleven percent of of um, murders of of convicted murders actually see a conviction, which is 
which is horrific, horrific. Well, it sends out a message, yeah. does it not, that, that sadly crime does pay in some cases because the chances of you either A, being arrested yeah. or B, going to court and then actually facing jail time are, you know, 10 to 1 uh, in favour of you actually getting a conviction. It's it's insane. That's another thing actually we should cover off in more depth. Maybe the next time that you're mm -hmm. on is the actual reality of the crime rates out there too because, you know, that type of breakdown in society leads to more lawlessness and I think that's what you guys yeah. are experiencing there. So you take care of yourself, Rob. I need the South Africa correspondent alive and well for 2024 because I'm sure there's going to be a lot happening next year. So uh, in the meantime, big salute to you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning that's rob hutchinson from dear south africa he and i will reconvene probably in the new year load shedding permitting and in the meantime stay tuned for more tnt james freeman is incoming i'll be back again tomorrow morning at nine with natalie so have a great day whoever you are i'm off rick Munn over and out